This is what we're going to see this morning. It is that those who follow Jesus will find themselves on a path that gets increasingly narrow as they go along. Walking with Jesus, you'll discover that there are going to be intersections where the wide road, which is easier, keeps going this way. And if you want to keep going with him, you'll have to take the fork in the road that leads in the direction of greater challenge and a narrower road. And we need to see this, all of us together, because what a disciple does is that each one of those intersections, she chooses to leave the wide road behind in order to continue going with Jesus on the narrow road. There's a scene which is recorded in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is traveling, literally traveling along the road with his disciples, his 12 hand-picked followers. They're there with him. And they're joined by a, a larger group of folks who are considering whether it's time for them also to join him and these others on that path. They're deciding together whether to keep going with Jesus. And what happens as they go along is that Jesus uh, engages in brief discussions with some of these would-be followers, which end up clarifying the kinds of intersections that we should expect if we're going to go along with Jesus. Essentially, there are three forks in the road of following Jesus where, where those who will go with him will have to make decisions, and they show up in this exchange in Luke chapter 9. And, and again, the choice is either to make a break from that wide road so you can keep going along with Jesus, or to leave Jesus and his friends behind and go on the wide road instead, which is a bit easier. And maybe not a bit easier, but much easier. Now, I want to be upfront with you before we even look at it. And I want to tell you, and this won't surprise you, that as your pastor who cares for you, and I do, that whenever you come to an intersection in life's road where the wide road, which is easier, goes this way, and the narrower road with Jesus goes this way, you should take the road that Jesus leads you on every time, even when it's harder. Most emphatically, this is what I want to convey to all of you this morning, that you should choose to follow Jesus at every one of the forks in the road that you will inevitably come to if you're walking with him. And, and there's a lot that I could say to you about why you should choose to follow him, but I want to say just one thing which I think is the most important thing about why you should choose to follow him. It's this reason. You ready? You should follow Jesus because you belong to him. I, I may know nothing about you. I know you belong to Jesus. Even if you tell me I don't really believe and I'm not sure about him, that is important but it's not as important as the fact that you already belong to him just as you are right now. And I can tell you that because I know that Jesus died for all people and you are included in that all. And when he did that, he, he uh, exerted a claim upon your life from that very moment that he gave himself for you in love. From now on, he's established a claim upon you and now, please don't think about other people. Just think about you. He gave his life for you. And because he did that, you now belong to him. And he did it so that you would live for him. This is put very clearly in, in one passage. It's one of my absolute favorites in the New Testament. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. 
There it says, Christ died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. Now, when it says that Christ died for all, it means you personally are included. He died for you. And here we learn very plainly that he did that so that you would live for him. And one way to picture living for Jesus is to be that person who walks on the road with him. And every time there's an intersection where you're invited to go on the wide, easy road or the more difficult one with him, you should choose to go with him because you belong to him and he died so that you would walk with him at every step of the way. This is what I hope for for every one of you personally. For those of you who I know, and because I know you, I have affection for you. That's related to who you are. I like you. It's for the people who I know and don't like to. They're not here. <laughs> it's for the people I don't know that this invitation comes. And now it's time for us to look as clearly and carefully as we can at this exchange that I've mentioned on the road with Jesus and the would-be followers. In Luke chapter 9. If you have a Bible open to Luke 9, you're going to find your way to verse 57. That's where these three exchanges begin. And one at a time, we'll see what these forks in the road are for us if we're going to follow Jesus. Let's look at the first one. Now it's, it's verse 57 in chapter 9 of Luke. Here's what we read there. <clears throat> As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, that's a good start. The desire expressed directly to Jesus to go with him wherever he goes. In some way, that might be the simplest and easiest description of what a disciple is. It's someone who follows Jesus wherever he goes, and we should aspire to that kind of simple focus in our discipleship. In effect, this person is saying, I'm yours, and I'm going to live for you. And that's wonderful. But the way Jesus responds reveals that this person does not know what he's promising. Have you ever made a promise and not really known what you were promising? Yes or no? If you're married, the answer is yes. <laughs> right? We see in this moment that this guy doesn't know what he's promising by the way Jesus responds. Verse 58. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Okay, Jesus responds by talking about two animals, the fox and the bird. The fox and the bird both live with very little security. For both of these two, survival is constant work. The fox has to be on the lookout at all times, eluding his predators while hunting for his prey. The bird is constantly searching for food and water for itself and its family. Survival is a never-ending struggle for both, but at least these two have places to go back to at the end of the day. The fox has a den to hide in. The bird has a nest to rest in and settle in at night. Though both live with very little, both have more than Jesus does. That's what Jesus means when he says the Son of Man is referring to himself. And they both have more than the one who chooses to keep on this path with Jesus. If you're going to follow me, Jesus is saying, you will have to do without the physical ease and the freedom from distress which you naturally want all the time. Here's the first fork in the road 
It's comfort. I wonder how many of you, like me, are addicted to comfort. Anyone else? Yeah, listen, there's nothing wrong with wool slippers, a warm fire, a glass of sherry, and a blanket on the couch at the end of the day. Anyone else? You can say, yeah, it's okay. Sherry's okay, as long as you don't drink too much. When you've worked hard and put in all the effort that the day demands and finished your tasks, you need rest and you need comfort and that's okay. But what Jesus is identifying here is the addiction that drives many of us to avoid any kind of uncomfortable situation whatsoever because we're afraid of conflict and all we want all the time is to be comfortable. You cannot follow Jesus if that's your impulse because Jesus is committed to loving other people. And if you're going to follow him, you also must be committed to loving other people. And loving other people means being uncomfortable. Amen? The moment you have a child, you know this. Don't you have to give up comfort in those early years with your child? You have to decide between loving them or being comfortable every single night. And you maybe forgot about this, but that's how it was, right? And it's just like that with loving any other person. And what Jesus wants, first of all, on this wide road where lots of people are coming to see, maybe I'll join him, is he wants to build a community of people who love others, and you cannot love other people and be addicted to comfort at the same time. And so the first fork in the road for you and for me is, will we be willing to walk away from comfort in order to walk with Jesus? If you read through the Gospels and just pay attention to what happens with Jesus, what you will see is over and over, he leads his followers into uncomfortable places because he's committed to loving other people. Here, listen. Jesus interacts with folks who are from the wrong racial community, according to his disciples. And if they're going to follow him, you remember the story of the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well? If they're going to come with him, they're going to have to be there for conversations like that. And it's not going to be socially comfortable for them. Will they come along with him? That's the question. Or Jesus will sit down at a table for a meal and the wrong kind of people will be there at the table as well and he won't wait for them to leave before he eats. In fact, he'll leave an open chair right there for the wrong kind of women, the kind that no one who's respectable would sit with. And if Jesus' followers are going to come with him, they'll have to be willing to sit down with people like that and that's going to be uncomfortable. Do you see it? He's going to lead his followers into very taboo places. A graveyard where there's a man who's mentally and spiritually ill. His community has rejected him, chained him up out there uh, among the spirits and the ghosts, and he has to live alone. And Jesus is going to go right into that place with his followers along with him. And if they're going to be his followers, it will mean going with him into the dreadful discomfort of that graveyard. Now, We, now it's time for you to think of yourself. And I'm asking you to think of you, not other people who should be different in their discipleship, but you personally. If you are going to follow Jesus, this will be the first fork in the road for you personally. It is comfort. Will you go along uh, addicted to your comfort or, or will you go the other way with Jesus? And this is not just a decision that a disciple makes one time and that's it. There's a place for that in our life of discipleship to decide for Jesus. But to walk with him means every day, again and again, we have to say, will I go this way, which is easy, or or live for Jesus, which will be uncomfortable? And here I'm going to be specific. Listen, living for Jesus will mean accepting the discomfort of having convictions that make you stand out socially today. Do you know that? 
that the most popular convictions right now in our country don't always jibe with the ones that we'll have if we follow Jesus. Following him will mean saying, I'm going to be uncomfortable enough to stand out. It will mean losing the security of conforming to the crowd. Don't you feel the pressure to conform? Of course you do. And standing out will be uncomfortable, but if you're going to walk with Jesus, you'll have to. It will mean saying no to the ease of keeping our distance from people who suffer. Jesus always went towards sufferers. It is a lot more comfortable to keep our distance from those who are having a hard time and tell ourselves, well, it's not my problem. I didn't cause it. If you're going to walk with Jesus, he's going to lead you right into that discomfort. It will mean that we no longer get to shelter ourselves from people who are different from us. I will tell you this, that on Sunday morning, in worship, it's one of the easiest times and places to keep people who are different from us at a distance. And churches always will have to struggle with this, to be uh, united in our sense that, hey, you know what? Everybody, everybody is someone for whom Jesus died. And all the other things which make us different, they're not as significant as this thing which unites us. So let's be together, even as these other things divide us. We'll have to say, I'm going to be... Uh, uncomfortable with people who I don't agree with, all of the lines that we draw between us and them, if we're going to go with Jesus, we have to remove the comfort of having a common enemy that we all hate and say, honestly, them and us, we're all us before Jesus' grace. Thank God he loves us all just the same. If we're going to follow Jesus, that first fork in the road is comfort. What is it for you personally? Uh, Answer here in your mind and be honest. You know, for me, it's, I've got my own answers. Um, it does not mean giving up rest at the end of the day. I need that as bad as anybody else, and this week maybe more. But it does mean saying, I'm not going to prioritize my comfort socially, spiritually, emotionally over the things that Jesus invites me to. That's the first exchange on the road. There's two more. Let's come now to the second fork as Jesus continues along with those would-be followers and they engage in their exchanges. There's a second fork in the road which is identified and this one is, is the way of convention. There's another intersection and it's the intersection that goes along those lines of the broadly accepted social agreements that determine our behaviors. Can you think of that for a moment? The agreements that we all tend to have these days that say this is how you're supposed to do things, not this way, and without really questioning them, we accept them and we let them govern how we behave. Those were just as powerful in Jesus' day, and back then and today, those are the kinds of unwritten scripts which will make it hard for you and for me to go along with Jesus because sometimes Jesus calls us to be unconventional. Here, let's look at the second exchange. This is in verse 59. To another, Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, on first read, it sounds like this man has made a very reasonable request, and Jesus is kind of, uh, kind of grumpy and an awful kind of person. Like this man says, my father just died, I'm going to finish up the funeral, and then I'll come along with you. And, and then Jesus says something that's incredibly mean. That is not what's happening here. And it's going to take a little background. I'm going to give it to you. But listen, what's happening here is actually this man is saying, I will follow you, but not yet. 
not until I fulfill the social obligations that everyone in my place has, not until it's, it's, uh, I've satisfied the conventions socially. After that time, I'll follow you. You see, in this day, when a young man uh, grew up under the leadership of his father, there was no question for him about what he was going to do until after the time that his father had died. Before he had the chance to, quote-unquote, bury his father, he was expected to do whatever his father did. If his father was a farmer, he worked in the farm. If his father was a carpenter, he worked in the shop. Whatever it was, he did that until the time when his father finally died and he was buried. And this man has taken an afternoon off. His father's still alive. He loves what Jesus is doing. And what he's saying is, down the road, after the time when I fulfilled my obligations according to social convention and my father is buried, then sign me up. And what Jesus is telling him is anyone who lets convention, social convention, dictate her timing for following Jesus, that person will already have missed the life that Jesus is inviting her to right now. If you wait until later, until you fulfilled whatever social script that you've accepted to follow Jesus, then you're as good as dead uh, as far as discipleship is concerned. Think with me for a moment, and I bet you'll see them. What are our social conventions that make it hard for people to follow Jesus right now? Can you think of some? I, to me, the most apparent is the career expectations that we put on our young people. Anyone here have like a a high school student who's a junior or senior and they're thinking about college, right? The social script that you have been sold and you've all bought it is very clear. It is that your student should get into the most prestigious university that they can possibly get into. No matter how much it costs, mom and dad should pay for it. How do you like that, friends? (laughs) And the reason you do this is so that after four years of university, that student can get the best possible career they can, which means the highest possible income, right? And it's fine for them to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't interfere with that script. Almost everybody buys that, I'm telling you. And listen now, as I'm saying that, if you're a, a, a high school student who right now is thinking, I've started to believe that before going to college, I should take a year and find a ministry to serve in so that I grow up with, but I'm afraid to say that. Please listen to me right now. And I'm saying this at the risk of really upsetting your parents. (laughs) You should do exactly what Jesus is calling you to. Test it out. Talk to people that you know in your faith community or talk to the youth leaders or other folks that you trust, mom and dad, If that disrupts your plans for them, you should make sure that it's not just a whim on their part. But if Jesus calls your child to an unconventional career approach, don't stand in their way. Now, after college, you get a job. Good for you. You find out that now the expectation is for you to start earning as much as you can. And the social convention in our day around wealth is you should keep as much of that money as you possibly can for you and the family you're going to start after you have enough money to get married and and, and to finally settle down. I know this is the convention because when I see couples who are thinking about getting married, so often they say, we can't get married yet. We don't have enough money. As if that's what, what determines when you get married. No. 
And then you get your job and, and someone will come along and tell you, here's what you need to do. Keep all of the money for yourself as much as you possibly can. I know this. After Michelle and I were married, the church we were at, there was a, a, a financial planner who sort of was connected with our church and he invited a bunch of families from our church to go sit with him as he talked about wealth management. And we sat down and he said, I am going to teach you all how to build your wealth castle. And then we're going to build a moat around it and fill it with alligators. He really said this. Now, Michelle and I had so little, we couldn't even build one corner of a castle. But what he was conveying to us is our, our culture's wealth script, which is you save as much as you can just for you. Now, don't think about giving money away. It's very, very, very hard to follow Jesus if that's your approach to wealth. And, and, and don't take my word for it. Read the way Jesus talks about money in the Gospels, and you will see over and over again that that outlook, that convention, it keeps people from going along with him. Do you know the story of the rich young ruler? Jesus invites him to come along with him. The guy says, I've done everything that I need to do. And Jesus says, you lack one thing. Sell everything you have and come with me. Do you remember the outcome of that story? He went away sad because he had many possessions, which means at the fork in the road of convention around wealth, he decided to not go with Jesus anymore. Whether it's your career plans or your wealth or whatever other convention that presents itself to you that keeps you from following Jesus. I know that some of you are like, oh, college, that was 50 years ago for me, and I don't have any money, so I'm, I'm, I'm fine. No, no, there are other conventions that will threaten to keep you from following Jesus. Here's one, you ready? Don't you think our day has a social convention around who you are supposed to reject and feel good about rejecting? I'm telling you, you have it. And, and, it, and the conventions in our day are, of course, you don't know that person. You've just labeled them in a group, and now you feel self-righteous because you're not them. That is a social convention that if you hold on to that, you will not be able to follow Jesus. You just won't. Jesus says, I love everybody, and you're, you're not supposed to judge and reject others. There are other scripts like that. There are scripts around um, achieving respectability by the company that you keep. You don't want to have that kind of person seen with you. No, Jesus says... Uh, I, am, I welcome all kinds of people, even the ones that make the most respectable religious authorities feel that there's something wrong with me. And if you're going to come along with me, you have to do that. Whatever, whatever convention right now is keeping you from following Jesus, the call this morning for you, and it is again a call over and over discipleship, the call for you this morning is to be free to follow Jesus in unconventional ways. Maybe following a different career path, than you would follow if you didn't have anything to do with Jesus. Maybe building wealth with an eye toward faithful distribution out there, not a moat, but bridges to people and institutions that need wealth, which you personally are really good at building, and some of you are, and that's God's gift to you, but it's a different, uh, it's a different convention. Uh, maybe, maybe for you this morning, it is you, Jesus is calling you to be willing to accept the wrong kind of people so that the light of Christ will shine through you into their life. Or maybe it is striving to become servants of others rather than getting people to serve you. That's how Jesus is calling you to be unconventional. If you are willing to follow him at this fork in the road, he will use you to bless the world in a unique way. If we, as a church, are going to be a faithful community, it will mean that we have to be willing to become unconventional in our faithfulness to Jesus. That's the second fork in the road that Jesus walks. The third one. Uh, some of you right now who are taking notes are wondering, what letter does this third one start with? <laughs> are you with me? Right, comfort, 
convention, it does start with C, and it's commitment. And I want to tell you why I choose three C's like this. There's a reason. It is in the hopes that this is as memorable as possible to you. And there's a reason why I want you to remember this and take it with you. I believe that God means to challenge you personally today and tomorrow with this unique message. And the more likely it is that you remember it, the more likely in my mind it is that Jesus sees you responding in faithfulness. And that's what I want more than anything else is for every one of you here and everyone who's at home listening online to remember this and respond faithfully when they find themselves at a fork in the road. And if you walk with Jesus beyond comfort, and, you, and that's what I want, and, and, and you say, I'm going to be unconventional, what will happen is at some point, your commitments, some of those old commitments in your life are going to be, they're going to be in tension with Jesus. And what you should do is you should cut those old commitments and go on fully committed with Jesus. What a disciple is, listen, is someone who's all in. And if you're not all in with Jesus, you cannot be in at all. With him, it's just not possible to walk with one foot on the old path and the other foot on the path that he's walking on. You cannot do it. And you should walk with him. It's the very best thing for you, for us, and this world around us. And you should do it because you belong to him. Listen to the third exchange. Another said, okay, this is verse 61. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. Same thing. You see it again, right? I will follow you, Lord. But, and that's always a bad sign, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Now, when, he, when this third person said that, in Jesus' mind and in the minds of all of those people who were going along with them, they heard an echo of an old familiar story that most of us don't know. It was the story of Elijah and Elisha. Now, some of you who study the Old Testament scriptures know that story. The folks on the road would have known it. And when that man says, I'm going to come along, but first I want to go say farewell to the people at my home, those listeners heard the same exchange that had happened many years ago between Elijah and Elisha. Here's the story. Elisha is working on the farm. He's got, he's got his hands on the plow. He's working with the oxen at his family's farm. When Elijah, who was a very, very well-known prophet at that time, comes to his home and says to him in the field, Elisha, I know your life has been about farming up until this point. That's what you've been committed to. But I'm telling you, God has told me that it's time for you to go off in a new path and you're going to come with me and you're going to take over for me as God's prophet. And that's going to mean less comfort. It's going to be very unconventional for, for Elisha and it's going to call him to let go of these old commitments. But Elijah comes to him and says, it's time for you to answer this call from God himself right now. Elisha says, I will follow you. But first, and he guesses what he says, let me go say farewell to those at my home. And in that moment, what Elijah thinks, are you still with me? It's Elijah and Elisha. That's kind of tricky. Are you with me still? What Elijah thinks is he's not just going back to the farmhouse to say goodbye. He wants to make sure his options are open in case this whole prophet thing doesn't work out. You see what I mean? Right? He thinks he's going to go back and say, listen, listen I'm going to go and try this out, but if it doesn't work, make sure you, know, you plow this field then and you know, we'll see. He believes that that's what's going to happen. And the reason he believes that is because he knows, just like Jesus knows on this road, 
that our commitments to our old way of life can be really strong for us. And so look at what Jesus says to this guy who says, I'll go back. Just let me say farewell first. Look at this. This is verse 62. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Can you hear how he's calling back to the echo of the Elisha story? Do you hear it? Because this guy wasn't talking about farming, but now Jesus is. What happens in the Elisha story is beautiful. Elisha goes back. Elijah watches him. Elisha gathers all of his farming equipment together and he breaks it into pieces and he makes a gigantic bonfire with it. And then he kills all of his oxen and he roasts them over the fire to have a farewell meal with all the folks in his family. And what he's done in that moment is decisively made a break with his old life, saying goodbye to his old commitments without leaving himself any way back whatsoever. He literally burns all of his bridges back to his old life so that he can go forward with Elijah, which is exactly what he does. And he walks on that new road of life with God's calling before him and saying goodbye to his old life. And this is exactly what Jesus wants to see from this man on the road and from all of these people here gathered together in this room and all who are tuned in right now. What Jesus wants is for you and for me, to say a definitive goodbye to our old life and to say, no more looking back over my shoulder. I'm going to commit fully now to the new life that God is calling me to. That is what Jesus wants from us and for all of us, to say goodbye to our old comforts, to, to be willing to be unconventional in our obedience, and then to cut all our old ties so we can go forward with him. And that's a personal call for you. I can't tell you exactly what that looks like, but I am confident that in the power of the Spirit, God visits people like you and me in moments like this to awaken in our hearts some sense of what he's calling us to walk away from so we can keep going with him. What is it for you? And no one can answer this question for you but yourself and the Spirit of God who is at work in you right now. What is it? Whatever it is, I'm pleading with you. Be open to going on that narrow road with him. And this is the last thing I want to tell you. This is beautiful. You should be very careful with people who make the kinds of uh, challenges that I'm putting before you right now. You should be careful. When someone like Jesus comes and, and invites people to make this kind of commitment, all who are challenged by him should ask, is he trustworthy or not? And here's a principle for following people. You should never let someone challenge you to go to a place that they themselves are not willing to go first. And the beauty of Jesus is that he calls these three and all of us to commitment only after he has fully committed himself to going all the way for us. And he has. You remember that passage at the start, that he died for you so that you would live for him? Jesus was so committed to every one of those would-be followers on the road that he walked all the way to Jerusalem and up a hill and allowed himself to be nailed to a cross so there was no way he could go back from that commitment which he made for us. He is that committed and he's done it. He died for us. And having done that, he stands in a unique position in this very moment to invite you and invite me through the power of his spirit to make a commitment to him 
where we say, I'm not going to follow comfort away from you. I'll go with you into discomfort. That I'm not going to let convention keep me from walking with you. I'll be unconventional in my obedience. And so that we are able to say, whatever commitments there were behind me, I'm going to put them to an end so I can commit myself to whatever path he calls me to walk on. Friends, Christ died for you so that you would live for him, so that you would walk on the path with him. He's done that for each of you individually, and your responsibility this morning is to receive his gift by saying yes to his call. And then I'll say this for all of us together as a church, Renaissance Church, is a church which I believe is uniquely gifted with potential for kingdom work. And I say that because the more I get to know you, the more I see the ways God has has equipped you for obedience on his path in a way that will bless the world. So this call is for us as a church together. Let's choose to be a church that walks with Jesus on the road no matter how narrow it gets. Are you with me? Amen. Let's ask Jesus now to make his calling particular to each one of us in this moment. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you so very much for your word, which gives us a unique picture of what your calling is and what it means to be disciples of yours. We thank you that in this scene in in Luke, we're able to see the kinds of challenges, the kinds of intersections that disciples will find themselves confronted with. And what we ask for is that you would make the specific challenges unique to each one of us in our hearts right now. That we would know where we are invited to choose between comfort and following you. Not someone else, but us. And where we're finding ourselves tempted by conventions that make it hard to go along with you. And where we ourselves are going to be inclined to look back to old commitments, whatever it is for each one of us, help us see your specific call and then move forward with courage and confidence on the road behind you. I thank you for this church, for the folks within it that have been so clearly and brilliantly gifted by you for service. And I thank you that we get to be on this road together. My prayer is that you would continue to be at work in our hearts and in our midst so that we would glorify you and follow you well together. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.